This episode of the Autism Dead podcast is brought to you by my friends Attracto. Tracto is a free app that's all about empowering parents to better understand and meet the unique needs of their kids with autism, ADHD, or anxiety. Tracto does this by easily allowing for the collaborative tracking of behaviors over time. Parents can invite teachers or anyone else they want to help document behavioral changes. Being able to document behaviors in real time prevents having to pull from memory later on, making it a more accurate and reliable source of information. Tracking things like sleep patterns, medication-related behavioral changes, behaviors in the classroom, or anything else that parents of these amazing kiddos need to keep an eye on can be challenging. Simply put, Tracto makes it easy. All tracking and collaboration functions of this app are completely free of charge. They also offer affordable online courses taught by leading experts if you're interested in learning some new parenting skills, for example. They're short videos that will teach you new parenting approaches and help you gain more insight into your child. You can find more information about Tracto by visiting tracto.app. That's T-R-A-C-T-O dot app. You can also check out the Google Play or the Apple App Store and use the code theautismdad at checkout to save 40% off of your online course order. Welcome to the Autism Dad Podcast. I'm Rob Gorski, and I've got a really important show for you guys today. We're going to take on a couple of controversial topics that shouldn't be controversial, but but they are. Um, we're going to talk about ABA therapy, and we're going to talk about regressive autism. And the reason that we're going to do that is because it's important to talk about it. There, there are parents out there who are genuinely looking for facts and information about ABA therapy for their child. There are parents out there who have experienced regressive autism that most people just don't understand what that's like. So Eileen Lamb is here today and we're gonna have kind of a parent-to-parent discussion about her experience with regressive autism and ABA therapy. And we'll talk a little bit about my experience with regressive autism. And we're gonna do it in a way that is just honest and transparent and based on firsthand personal experience. So this isn't what we read online. This isn't what we found in a social media post or something like that. This is firsthand personal experience. And I think it's important that you guys get to hear stuff like this. So Eileen, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I really do appreciate it. Could you take a second and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm Eileen Lam. I'm a mother of uh, two autistic children. I'm also autistic myself, and I have a third one on the way. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. I'm uh, an author, photographer, um, blogger, I guess you would say, Uh, and I'm also the senior social media manager at Autism Speaks. Uh, so pretty much every aspect of my life is uh, autism related, and I'm excited to be here. You're pretty busy. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, how, how old are your kids? So Charlie's nine, and he's the one who's on the severe side of the spectrum. He's nonverbal. Um, and then Jude is uh, six, and he's uh, high-functioning like me. I have three kids, all who've been diagnosed as autistic, and, and they, they kind of fall in various places. And I know. I, I was just officially diagnosed with ADHD, and so I, I have some insight to some of the challenges that, that they have because they all have ADHD as well. But do you feel like being an autistic mother helps you to better understand and relate to your kids? Because that's like a that's a struggle that I've had over the years is having a hard time kind of putting myself in their shoes. I guess if that makes sense, because I don't know what it's like to experience the world the way that they do. I think it helps in some ways, but, you know, just because I share a diagnosis with them doesn't mean I understand all of their struggles because people on the spectrum are so different from each other. Like, for me, it's easier to relate to Jude because we're 
you know, more similar in a lot of ways. Like for instance, Charlie's nonverbal, like that's not something I understand. Um, I've always been very verbal. Uh, I can communicate most of the time. Um, so no, not, not always, but sometimes, you know, like if Charlie starts like crying, covering his ears, my oldest is Charlie. Um, I will, uh, often, often I will know why, like I will have heard that noise too and know why he's having a hard time in that moment when other people are going to be like, "Mm, no, I did not hear that. And, you know, so sometimes it, it helps, you know, and I, I guess it helps because I, I would never like for, force him to do things that are expected, I guess. Like for me, it's still hard going to the grocery store, for instance. So like, I, I understand if, you know, if he doesn't want to go, like it's not something he has to do, you know? So in a way it gives me like more patience um, with those struggles. Um, but I don't know, maybe other parents who are not autistic would, you know, be the same way. So I'm very empathetic with my kids. So like I, I've learned to sort of pick up on the signs. Right. And so like my youngest, especially is very sensory oriented. So sound, smell, taste, all that kind of stuff is, has always been a challenge. And I, and while I, I don't understand it personally, I do recognize the triggers, if that makes sense. And I, and I can sort of see the gears turning. You kind of learn to just sort of navigate your kids and, and pick up on the subtle things that cause them distress. Were you diagnosed as a child or were you diagnosed later in life? I was diagnosed uh, in my mid-20s, just after, after Charlie, actually. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Um, I grew up in France. You can hear with my accent. I can do that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, uh, I, was, I was 21 when I came here, so now I've lived a third of my life in the U.S., but anyway, I... Uh, I told my mom, Charlie was just diagnosed with autism and my mom is in France. And she told me uh, that it, wa- it wasn't possible because Charlie and I were the same way as children, uh, toddlers, except I talked a lot. And I knew Charlie was absolutely 100% autistic. I mean, like there was absolutely no doubt. And, you know, I got into the autism world on social media and I started learning about high-functioning autism, and I could relate to pretty much everything I was reading, but at first I just, like, brushed it off because, you know, it's just internet, and I feel like it's it's hard. Like, I, would, I didn't want a internet test, an internet blog post to diagnose me, right? But after a while, it was just, like, hitting at me, and I, I needed answers. I went through a therapeutic assessment, which is dozens and dozens of hours of testing uh, with a a psychologist. And at the end of it, I was diagnosed with a high-functioning autism. And yeah, I was like, in a lot of ways, it was nice because I felt like, okay, so everything I struggled with, like I was talking about, you know, I can't go to social events like grocery store. Uh, I was bullied as a child in France. I always felt different. Like there are so many things. I was like, so this isn't really my fault. Like it's autism. So it was really comforting to have like an explanation for those struggles. But on the other end, I was like, okay, well, it's great. Now I'm 25. What do I do with this? You know, would have been great to have this diagnosis as a child. So maybe I could have gotten therapy and, you know, maybe I could have 
being kinder to myself uh, when other kids were making fun of me and all of that. So yeah, it was a very intense experience. That's so interesting. There's a lot of parents that I've talked to who find out that they are autistic as well, but only after their kids have been diagnosed. It's, it's like you, you put, you start making those connections and it's like, huh, you know, and then they explore the diagnosis for themselves. I was diagnosed with ADHD last Wednesday and oh. 43 years. And I didn't know that. I mean, it makes sense now that I'm understanding everything. I went through the, the psychological testing, the cognitive testing, the personality, all that stuff with, uh, with my doctor. And I, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around it a little bit. It, it's comforting in the sense that it sort of explains me, I guess. But like you said, I've already made it 43 years. I don't know what to do with it at this point. You know, I mean, like it's sort of a, I don't know, it's just sort of an interesting situation to find yourself in later in life, you know, cause then, then you, you can look back on your life and you start like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. All the pieces start like falling into place and, and you can, I don't know. Did that, did that sort of happen to you where it just sort of made, like yeah. you made more sense to yourself, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's for sure. It made me be kinder to myself uh, because I had an explanation for all of my, my struggles. So it was like, oh, that's why I was like this. Oh, that's why that happened. You know, that's why I can't hold a friendship, uh, you know, my 30s now. Still the case, you know, oh, that's why I can do these things that everyone does and like doesn't even blink, like getting gas, get, going to the grocery store. Like there's nothing wrong with me. That's why. So yeah, that's, that was really the cool part about having the diagnosis. But then as far as like getting help for it, you know, as an adult, that's, you know, I mean, I still see that psychologist who diagnosed me uh, years ago. But, you know, it's not changing my life in any drastic ways. It's more about perception of myself and how I can maybe explain what I'm going through to others. But then again, I'm like, it's, it's a tough line because I don't want to use autism as an excuse, you know. So I'm always, yeah, you know what I mean? I, I get it. Yeah. What has your parenting journey been like? That's been, it's been wild too. You know, I was a pretty young mother. I was 23 uh, with Charlie, 24. Okay. And I mean, obviously I knew nothing about parenting. It was my first, right? And I had all these expectations, I guess. I wanted to teach him French. So I spoke French to him for the first uh, 18 months. And, you know, he was, uh, he was, he was doing great overall. He was hitting his milestones. Uh, he walked at 10 months. He had some words. He was really happy, like being around people. And then uh, it all stopped. He, uh, he, he stopped talking and, you know, he, he wasn't hitting milestones anymore. And all I knew about parenting was what I was learning, like on social media, basically, you know, even, you know, at 15, 16 months, we took him to the doctor. It was around the time when he started losing words. And she told us that Charlie was obviously not autistic and that it was the only reason why they had those questionnaires you know those questionnaires like as you do this as you do that and these were things that felt so I don't, I don't know like i didn't know they were important at the time like does he point i don't know pointing was important no he doesn't uh does he bring you a rock to show it to you <laughs> questions like this 
you know, I had no idea at the time that all these things were important. But anyway, the pediatrician wasn't worried at 16 months. And, you know, I didn't know any better at the time. Uh, but when he started losing all of his words uh, and he was lining up his toys literally all day long, that's all he wanted to do. That's when uh, I was like, okay, maybe there is something going on here. At first, we thought maybe it's because I speak two languages to him. He's starting to get confused, you know, always making excuses. Um, and then he ended up being diagnosed at 22 months old, which, you know, I know we got lucky because we, we got the diagnosis pretty pretty early. Um, but as a first-time mom, it was really overwhelming. In my life, our life just changed, like, pretty much overnight. And he started going to therapy every day. Other people in my life just didn't really want to hang out with us anymore. I guess it just wasn't convenient because Charlie was screaming a lot, you know, during play dates. He would try to escape, didn't interact with other kids, and again, started drifting away from people. And our life just became just therapy, 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 and trying to help Charlie, basically. My oldest is 22. When he was little, uh, I've raised him, he, he, I adopted him, but I've raised him since he was a year old. And so I don't have personal experience with him before 12 months, but he developed typically hit all those milestones, was talking, all that, all that kind of stuff. And then it was somewhere between age three or four, uh, that he, he pretty rapidly regressed and he, he didn't lose his speech, but speech became more difficult. And uh, his, his whole personality changed, you know, he went from being, uh, you know, wanting hugs all the time to not wanting to be touched and, you know, not liking the things that he used to like, you know, his, his interests changed. He just became sort of disconnected. It felt like it was overnight. Like we put him to bed one person and he woke up someone else. But I think like looking back on it, like I, I can't, I can't pinpoint a time where I noticed him starting to change it's it just was there was a point where everything was different and that led us down the road to an autism diagnosis ultimately and he's you know he's doing pretty well honestly he's doing really well at, at 22 now there was a lot of a lot of skills that were lost that he had once mastered and so there's a lot of practice and repetition but uh he's come he's come a really long way and I'm very, very proud of everything about him. And it's just, it's, it's, I've talked to a lot of people over the years and there's only a handful of people that I've actually like spoken with who have experienced the regression. Uh, most people that I talk to or most parents that I know their kids were like, they knew their, their child was autistic from birth, right? Like they never hit their milestones or, or they were delayed in, in everything. And so they, they didn't get to experience like a version of their child and then be presented with another version of their child later on, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I, I feel that because a lot of people are surprised when I tell them that's what happened to me because it didn't happen to them. Um, and apparently it's rare. It's called regressive autism and it's not that, that common, but honestly, looking back, like I was, saying yes he hit all his big milestones like walking crawling all of that but he never had those little ones that i i didn't know were important like pointing uh 
actually, no, he did clap, but pointing was a big one. Uh, I don't know. I, f- I feel like if I hadn't been a first-time mother, I probably would have noticed before then. But the regression still happened. Uh, and it was still... It's it's really scary. Yeah, it's like you don't recognize your child. Like he, he was like in his own world from that moment on. It was just like a bubble around him and we couldn't really access him anymore. Yeah, he didn't want to cuddle, all of that. It's it's kind of sad, you know? It, this might sound really weird, but um, did, it, did you... And just because I, I haven't really had a chance to talk to anybody else who's been through something like this before... Uh, did, was there like a grieving process for you? Did you, did you feel like you lost him at first? Like, like the kid that you knew didn't exist anymore at the time. And you had to kind of get to know the person who was there now. That makes sense. Totally. And, you know, on social media, you get a lot of hate if you mention that you grieved after a diagnosis, but that's something I've actually talked uh, about a lot in, in therapy because I felt a lot of guilt for feeling this way because everyone uh, on the internet was telling me I was a horrible mother for grieving. But it's so nuanced. You're not like grieving the child because like you don't love your child. or And first of all, it's not really the child that you're grieving. It's more like... Uh, the expectations you had for your 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 child. Like I'm grieving the fact that, you know, Charlie will live with us for the rest of his life. That's not life I wanted for him. That's probably not the life he wants for himself. You know, I'm I'm grieving that I'll never get to have a conversation with him. I mean, yes, maybe a miracle will happen, but he's nine now. It's grieving the life that should have been easier for him. You know, probably won't see him graduate anything. He's going to need a caregiver for the rest of his life, uh, 24-7. I mean, I I don't know. I think the opposite would make me a bad mother. Why should I be happy about it? I mean, I love Charlie, but I'm not happy he's disabled. I've had that same hate that comes at you. Uh, I've had death threats. I've had all kinds of judgments over the years because um, I think if your child is, is born autistic, which I think most, most kids who are autistic are born autistic, right? There's, and you, you, even those parents still have that grieving process because, you know, they had in their head, everything was planned out. And then those plans have to change, you know, to, to adapt to what is present. And there's a grieving process for that. And I think that's just human. And, and I, I really, I, I don't like the judgment that parents get for being human, you know, but when it comes to your child regressing, it's, it's a whole different experience because, you know, there's a lot of people who were able to have conversations with their kids or they, they were able to do all, all of these things. And then one day it all went away. And there's no explanation for it, right? Nobody, there's no preparation for it. You just are, are basically, for me, it felt like, uh, somebody swapped him out in the middle of the night and like he was, he was such a different person. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like all I know is 
Gavin who he is now, right? I love him. He's just amazing. Um, but it took me a long time to to go through that grieving process because I I missed the connection that I had with him. I missed I missed all the things that we used to do that he no longer wanted anything to do with, right? And and the hate that I would receive for grieving that is is unbelievable. And it's just like in some ways you kind of lost your child because they're now a different, they're a different person, you know, and, and, and people don't, people who haven't experienced that don't understand what that's like. And they assume that because you are grieving or you're saying something about it, that you don't love the child who's present or, uh, whatever. And, and it's just, uh, I know you've, you've had to deal with a lot of that. I've followed you for a little while, so I understand I've been on the same end of that. How have you dealt with it? The hate, well, it took a long time to uh, get used to it and be okay with it. I mean, it's not that I'm okay with it. It just doesn't affect me anymore just because I've been doing this for seven years now, the social media. And I mean, I got hate right from the start. Um, and it got worse throughout the years because I think that movement of people who attack parents online and people they disagree with is just getting bigger and bigger so there's more and more hate but i don't know i think something switched like two two or three years ago for me and i was just like it's always the same thing you know they always tell you the same things they say the same things to other parents like it's not personal and it's just it shouldn't affect me because I know that what they're saying about me is not true. You know, they're just strangers on the internet. A lot of them are like teenagers, you know, and I feel like almost sad because I feel like they got sucked into a, a, a movement that they don't really understand. And they just comment hate on, on people's posts uh, without understanding, you know, like they the wouldn't even listen to this episode and try and understand it. It's just like, being mean for the sake of being mean, you know, and it's just not, it's, it's not okay. And, you know, it, yeah, it used to affect me a lot. I mean, I lost sleep over it. It's like when you have hundreds of people, like, cause that's what they do is they come like, in it's like a mob. Groups. Yeah, yeah. It's a mob. So yeah. it is a mob. And, you know, they have groups where they post parents post or autistic post of people they don't agree with so that everyone can go attack. So you get, when you get attacked, you get attacked like a lot. And I mean, you know, we, I feel like as parents, we're already struggling with mental health. I mean, a lot of us and online bullying, I mean, let's call it what it is, is, is hard. And yeah, it took me a lot of, uh, honestly, therapy to, to learn to be okay, okay with it and to not let it affect me and my days. This episode of the Autism Dead podcast is brought to you by Trail Magic. Communing with nature is one of the best methods of self-care available, and hiking is one of the best ways to enjoy nature. If you're a parent who enjoys hitting the trails with your little ones, you're already aware that toddlers will walk some of the journey and want to be carried the rest of the way. There are tons of contraptions out there for carrying babies while on a trail, but what about those in-between toddler years? You don't want to bring a big bulky carrier for a kid who's only going to use it some of the time. The Trail Magic Kid Carrier solves that problem and it does so brilliantly. 
Invented by a dad who wanted to take his three-year-old backpacking. It's for kiddos 12 months up to 43 pounds. The carrier attaches onto hiking backpacks and durable day packs that have a waist strap and upper loaders. Weighing less than 10 ounces, it's so portable you can stuff it in the side of your backpack when not in use. The Trail Magic Kid Carrier is a total game changer for the outdoor adventure family community. For more information, visit trailmagic.com. That's T-R-A-I-L-M-A-G-I-K.com. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout and save 10% off your order. I think what you're doing is amazing because you, you say what you think and you stand by what you believe in regardless of what people are saying, you know? And we kind of touched a little bit on, you know, you talk about ABA therapy, you talk about a lot of things that I, I think shouldn't be touchy subjects, but they are. Why do you do that? Well, first of all, I feel like people are afraid to speak about these things, these subjects these days, like ABA, autism speaks, the puzzle piece, color blue. I mean, so many things have become, have become controversial in uh, the autism world and uh, people will just keep repeating these things without trying to look for other perspectives. It's just spreading like a virus. Like they're gonna hear it somewhere, repeat it, and then another person repeats it and it's never ending. So we need people uh, like me, I guess, who will uh, show the other side. And I hate that there's even a side because I feel like we're never going to agree on everything, um, but we should respect each other's opinions. Like there is that useless debate about like puzzle piece or infinity loop, like just let people choose and stop like harassing people who don't agree with you. You know, it would be like so simple. Same with the color blue versus uh, color red or, you know, person first versus identity first. Like, for instance, I say I have autism, I say I'm on the spectrum, I say I'm autistic, like I, I, don't, I don't care. Uh, there are so many more issues that we should focus on as advocates. But I get attacked by autistic adults who prefer to refer to themselves as autistic because I say I have autism. Like it should be my, just let me decide for myself, you know? Um, well, yeah. I talk about ABA a lot because that's something that is close to my heart because it's helped Charlie uh, a lot. He's been in it since uh, he was two, so just after he was diagnosed. And, uh, you know, they taught him to communicate with an app on his iPad, uh, Proloquo to go. It's not fluent not at all, but he can at least tell us, like, I want cookie, I want water. And it might not seem like a lot, but it's a huge deal. And I don't think I would have achieved that without them and definitely not that fast. And I talk about ABA because all of the things I read about it that are negative are not true. Like people say that they prevent autistic people from steaming. Not my experience. I mean, maybe ABA 20 years ago, you know, people tend to get stuck in the past uh, or they hear about one bad experience and that's the one that's going to stick. And then people who had good experiences are too afraid to share their own positive stories because then they get bullied basically for sharing their good stories so i would love to encourage people to you know share their positive stories because in the end they are more positive than negative way more it's just that the negative voices are louder i have a uh, i have a really fast growing autism parenting sub on reddit 
which is a really dangerous place to be <laughs> if you're talking about that kind of stuff. And there are, I've just, I just had to start something there where, where I had to put like serious restrictions on the whole discussion of ABA just because parents are coming to the forum and they're, they're looking for help. They're desperate, right? They want to help their kids. They don't know what to do. And if they even ask a question about ABA therapy, they just get swarmed and they're called abusive parents. And it's called like, they're trying to strip the autism away from their kids. It got to the point where, and everybody, and everybody says, you know, the, the kind of talking points that you get and they're talking points. They're not majority of these people who are aggressively advocating against ABA. I don't think have personal experience with it. They're, they're, they're parroting a, a, a talking point. And what I hear constantly is that majority of autistic adults will tell you that ABA is abusive. Well, that's just simply not true, right? If roughly 1% of the population, the human population is autistic, you say, I think the number was like 78 million autistic people on the planet, roughly, there's not 38 million people on Reddit, uh, autistic people who are arguing against ABA. There aren't 38 million autistic people who have probably been through ABA. You know I mean? Like it, it's like this all or nothing. And it's, and I do think it's a vocal minority of people, but they're very, very loud and, and they're organized. You know, it's like they send up the bat signal. As soon as someone posts a comment that they don't like, or they disagree with, they get swarmed with, uh, just all kinds of hateful things. And, and these poor parents who are just trying to do what's best for their kids, you know, become even more distraught or more desperate or just lost and don't know what to do when a lot of those people could have been allies. You know, they could have just been like, Hey, I had a bad experience with ABA. This is why I did. And so just be aware of certain things, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't take my kids to any therapy and ignore what was going on. I mean, I, I'm paying attention to what's happening. And if I feel like there's something going on that I'm uncomfortable with, I'll say something, you know, but that should be my, my choice as a parent, because if anybody knows what's best for my kids, arguably it's me, right? Because I know my kids better than anybody else. What would you say to parents who are scared to even look in that direction because of everything that they've heard, all of the negativity? So many things. Um, well, first of all, you know, a lot of, all of the autistic people who are on the internet telling you about how ABA is abusive, a lot of them haven't been in ABA because they were like, is there either self-diagnose, uh, which you can get ABA if you're self-diagnosed, or they've been diagnosed as adults, can't, uh, so they didn't experience ABA as children. Also, a lot of people who are in ABA, like my son, can't advocate on social media because, you know, autism is not just the quirky, you know, high functioning. There is such a wide range. And, you know, a lot of people with autism uh, can't be on social media. They don't have the luxury of being able to advocate for themselves. You know, that's a really good point. I, I can tell Charlie's happy to go to to ABA. I mean, he's always like smiling, flapping his hands as soon as we get there, but he's not going to be able to tell you, especially not on Facebook. Um, so keep that in mind. But also ABA is not about trying to make an autistic person normal. Like that is the most, I mean, I think it's, it's crazy that people are trying to uh, 
reduce ABA to, to this because ABA is about teaching kids skills that they deserve to know, you know, like communication, um, safety, and independence. It's all personalized to the child. So if there's something that like the ABA therapist thing that you ch your child should learn and you don't want, you don't think it's a big deal, you don't have to do it, you know, and the parents like get involved as a parent, you know, it's, it's so important. It's not much different than school ABA, you know, it's about teaching them skills. It's just different. I mean, they work on academic with Charlie too. They're trying to teach him about numbers and letters on his iPad. No one bats an eye when we're trying to teach a skill to a, a neurotypical child, right? So why right. would it be different if the child is autistic? doesn't make sense. And, you know, my, my kids never, well, they were in speech, occupational and physical therapies. And I think a lot of the, the OT, the OT, especially I think was, was, it was ABA based, but they never, they were never in like straight ABA therapy. But if that's something that they needed, I would have done it in a heartbeat. You know I mean? Because like as a parent, it's my responsibility to help my kids have the, the highest quality of life that they can, you know, so they can navigate the world as independently as possible to be happy and be able to communicate and interact and, and do things that they just want to do. And whether your kid is autistic or not, even the neurotypical kids go to therapies to get help learning skills. You know, I mean, why is it, like you said, why is it different? You're not trying to change your neurotypical child you're just trying to help them overcome an obstacle right you're, you're helping them learn a skill that can help them to better navigate life and it's the same thing for autistic kids like i i don't i don't understand why anyone would advocate to allow a child to struggle if there were ways of helping them overcome that struggle yeah i mean they're even saying that potty training is uh ableism because you're forcing the child to be like normal uh you know it's it's pretty extreme uh to me like charlie's learning ABA to brush his teeth uh things like that and i feel like these skills are not it's not trying to make him normal i mean why would i i want him to yeah learn to brush his teeth and use the bathroom by himself like it seems like a almost like a right you know like it, it's absolutely important that he has those those skills you know like not helping him get there would be more abusive to me than helping him get there you know do you think a lot of these people who are advocating for this do you think they're parents themselves no because i've always gotten the impression that a lot of these people aren't parents they're just sort of angry people who maybe have had negative experiences and then just it sort of a, becomes this generalized approach and everybody with a similar view just kind of gathers together and they just, they don't understand what it's like to be a parent and want to help your child or see your child struggling or in pain and, and not do anything about it. Like I, I can't fathom a parent wanting to do that. Most of them are children themselves. I mean, they're like, you know, 18 to 21 and you know, it's, it's a tough age. I mean, I remember being a teenager and being like so confused with myself and wanting to belong somewhere. And honestly, that movement, uh, it kind of gives you a, a meaning, you know, it's not, it's not great, but I can understand why like these teenagers get sucked uh, into this. 
They feel like they belong. They feel like maybe they have answers about themselves. But no, most of them are not parents. Of course, some of them are. But I don't think any of them have children like uh, my son, Charlie. Like even those who have uh, children who are on the more severe side, I mean, their children can communicate. I know because they tell me, well, if you can communicate, uh, it's your fault because you're focused on verbal communication. No, it's been seven years of him using an iPad, you know. There is that uh, idea that all autistic people can communicate and it's just so dangerous and false. Yet there are a lot of ways to communicate, sign language, PECS, AAC, but not all autistic people can learn that. Charlie was in the ICU a few months ago. He was very, very sick. He had a blood pressure that was drastically low, a heart rate too, and it was like lethargic like not waking up at some point was horribly scary. He couldn't even tell us what was going on. You know, his life depended on it and he couldn't communicate, whether that was with his iPad, his voice. He had no way of communicating and even telling us like if anything was hurting. So no, not everyone can communicate. And um, I wish people understood how broad the spectrum is and how severe autism can be. And that these people remember that you don't hear about it as much because these people can't advocate for themselves and they need their parents to do so. And that's why parents' voices are so important in the community. I really like that. I think that you are an amazing person and I have so much respect for everything that you're doing. Thank you. You're welcome. But thank you for doing it, you know, because there is such a need for this type of voice of reason. You know, you can guide parents and help them to navigate situations that, you know, they, they just want to help their kids. They shouldn't be ridiculed or, or, or made to feel guilty or like they're abusive just because they're trying to help their child. I mean, there, of course, there's bad parents out there, but the majority of just want to help their kids. We live with that fear that someday we're not going to be here and the world is never going to we can want the world to accommodate our kids. We can want the world to change to meet our kids' needs. But the reality is that may never happen. And as a parent, it's our responsibility to prepare our kids for the world as best we can, because at some point we're not going to be here. And I think so many of those people who are attacking parents don't understand what that fear is. I would never want to change any of my kids away from being who they are. But if there's an obstacle in their path, I want to help them overcome that or find a way around it or find a way through it because I think that's the right thing to do. And then, and then I can see that look on their face when they accomplish something that they haven't been able to do before is priceless, you know? So I guess just thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad some people see, see value in this type of advocacy, which to me just seems like being reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of people. You have a huge following. and. I realize, and, and much like myself, where there's, there's, there's groups out there where, where you are not appreciated. There's lots of groups out there where I'm not appreciated, but there's a lot more places out there where you are. And I guess I, I just want to just thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Do you have any, any like closing message for parents? Yeah. Uh, you know, do, do your own research. Don't just take everything you read on social media as gospel, as the truth, not even what I'm telling you, you know, go do your own research, see what works for you and your family. Because, you know, I was saying earlier, autistic people are all different from one another. And 
what works for your child might not work for mine and, and vice versa. And, you know, if you see people just attacking you or others on social media, well, don't take it personally. You know, they're doing it to everyone. You're not an abusive parent. I'm sure just the fact that you're on social media, you know, wanting answers and looking for support. And that already shows to me that uh, you're a good parent. So, yeah, try and not take uh, everything you read on social media as a as the truth because of your perspective and you know there are a lot of us out there on this journey and you're not you're not alone thank you how can people find you so um at the autism cafe on uh, instagram facebook uh, twitter i really do not like twitter it seems to be where everyone come, like it's <laughs> one of the worst uh, stay away I'm from there. reddit just tell oh you oh my that. god i'm on reddit too yeah oh, well so you know same, same thing, yeah. And uh, I'm at Eileen.lam on, on TikTok. Okay. I'll have all of those links in the show notes below, as well as links to both of your books. We didn't really get to those. I apologize for that. But uh, I'll have links to all that so people can check those out. Thank you again for everything. Thanks for, for having me. It was great. You're welcome. Take care. Before I close things out, I want to say thank you to Eileen for taking the time to come on the show and for sharing her experience and all of that as openly and honestly as she does, especially in light of the amount of hate and resistance that she receives along the way. I do know what that's like because I've had plenty of that myself. You know, Kate Swenson was on last week and you know she experiences the same thing. People, you know, when they don't agree with you, they attack you. And it's not, it's not okay that we do this, guys. Like, we need to be able to have conversations about things. And there are parents out there right now who are trying to find help for their kids. And one of the options that they have available to them is ABA therapy. And they should be allowed to ask about it. They should be allowed to explore it. And like any responsible parent, you should educate yourself on something before involving your child in it, right? So, you know, I wouldn't take my kids to anything without knowing what's going on. And I wouldn't just drop them off and let it happen, right? So pay attention and talk to people and research for yourself because there's a whole world of information out there and not all of it is, is accurate. So thank you again, Eileen, for taking the time to come on the show and for sharing so openly and honestly about your personal experiences with regressive autism and ABA therapy. You can find more from Eileen at theautismcafe.com. All of her links will be in the show notes below. So go check her out and support her efforts. As always, you can find me at theautismdad.com. All my links are at the top of the page. You can like, listen, and subscribe to this podcast and any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. Just hit that subscribe button. And if you don't mind, uh, rate it. I really appreciate that. I hope you guys have a fantastic week and I will talk to you next Monday.